very good day to you. I'm Howard Feldman. This is the Synthesis Podcast. Each week, a couple of times a week, actually, we chat to various personalities, some in business, some in tech, some in politics, and some in medical. This morning, we are joined by Pavlo Fatidis. And of course, you would know him. You'd know him from 702. You'd know him from some of his books that he's written. In fact, has just released Reset, Rebuild, and Reignite, which is a phenomenal and interesting read. And what I found fascinating about it is that it talks about crisis, crisis being very relevant to all of us in terms of COVID-19, but uh, it doesn't really need to be because crises are going to hit businesses in one way or, the, or another. So we, has, we had best be prepared. And one of the things he says in the book is that it hardly matters what the crisis is. What matters is how you deal with it. Pablo, very good day to you. Thanks for taking the time to chat to us. It's an absolute pleasure, Howard. Nice to join you. Hello to everyone who's listening, seeing, and engaging with us. So let's let's just talk about that. Can every business anticipate a crisis? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Who anticipated COVID? Mm. There will be a few people that say they might have. Um, there's some early warning signs that came up with Bill Gates in 2014-15. He was already talking about a pandemic. But the timing of it was unknown. And the consequences of it were unknown. Who can anticipate burst pipes in a warehouse? Who can anticipate what happened, for example, to Tiger Woods the day before yesterday, mm. when flying off the road in a, a near-fatal accident? Crises happen, and it's part of life, and they always deal with So we can't, we can't anticipate the specifics around a crisis. But what we can do is create an environment, I would imagine, that is robust and agile. I hate all these words because they really are proper buzzwords, but uh, they really do suit this, this particular description. It's create an environment that is able to, to deal with the slings and arrows, I guess. Well, completely. And, you know, for fear that you don't create an environment to be able to deal with unforeseen events or crises, it puts you in a position where you will always be the victim of the crisis as opposed to leading change in the crisis and having those that follow that didn't act in the crisis become the victims of the crisis. And in business terms, what I've noticed over the last year and a half, or no, the last year since we've had COVID, how I've spoken to upwards of, I speak to a lot of business owners, um, perhaps five a week, uh, right through South Africa, in the United States, in Europe, in the UK, and across Singapore and Hong Kong. And what was fascinating for me were the two, let's call it psychological responses. The first lot, which makes up about 95% of that audience, the knee-jerk response to a crisis was one that said, gosh, a storm has arrived, let's call it COVID. It's creating all this uncertainty and danger out there. And what we need to do is go back into the safety of the port and the harbor, batten down the hatches, send our crews home, and wait for it to pass. About 5%, maybe 7%, turn around and said, a storm has appeared. What we are going to do is sail into the storm, and we're going to test the validity of our health the integrity of our health, the business model. We're going to test our crew. 
We're going to learn to skill ourselves to sail in storms because this is the first of many. And what's following behind COVID is a massive crisis that will be created by accelerated technology in the European environment or in the UK environment, it's Brexit. Globally, it's going to be new climate change legislation that's imposed upon us very quickly. In South Africa, we've been living with Eskom on, Eskom off mostly for however long. And ongoing social, political uncertainty is going to remain and it's going to persist for a while longer. And those that said, if that's the world that we're sailing into, if that's the world we're building a business into, you learn to sail in a storm. You don't learn to sail in smooth waters. And that made up about 5 or 7% of the audiences that I've certainly been engaging so, so the whole idea, obviously, being that we need to actually deal with what is what comes our way. What prevents us from doing that? As you were talking, I was thinking back to to a business experience that that I had some years ago, and for me, I think it was ego. I think it was the inability to say we're heading into a crisis. It wasn't COVID. It happened to be the world commodity markets uh, changing and, and, and hitting a bit of a crisis. And instead of saying, um, let's find the way that, that the company can test this, we said, well, we, this is who we are and we don't want to be seen to be anything different. That, that I think, was, was perhaps a, a fault when I look back at, at some of my business experience. Are there multiple factors? What is the most common thing that pushes a company, to use your metaphor, to go back into that harbour rather than dealing with a storm that, uh, that is actually going to allow them to be much stronger at the end of the day? You know what? And, and I'm sure some people might be upset by... This first statement. I think there's a fundamental difference between business owners who are driven by a well-defined intention as opposed to business owners who are operating businesses. If you think about it, time, time is completely inelastic. And for many of us, we often think that next year will be different. We're going to do things differently. And yet, at the end of that year, for many of us, things weren't that different. So what, what influences that is a mindset, an attitude, a thought process around why you do what you do. One of the most defining features for me in amongst that 5 to 7% audience that I spoke to is they had a very clear intention around why they were doing what they were doing and what the end game was. Most business owners go into business, you fall into business. If you're extremely privileged in life, you grasp an opportunity to create a business, but most go into business out of necessity. And the nature of a business, which has very little to do with your education, your intelligence, your commitment, your hard work, so it's never personal. The nature of building a business beyond a certain size is complicated. And in that complexity, there's noise all the time. And over a period of time, that noise that sees us being busy becomes the way that we do business. And Carl Jung argued it beautifully. He said, we become trapped by the images of our past. If you don't have a mindset that says, I'm in business, 
Yes, passion drives me without any question of doubt, but my purpose is to build a business that will achieve X within Y period of time. Immediately, the, inad, the, in, the elasticity of time lets you fall into the noise. If you're outside of the noise, Howard, it puts you in a place where you can turn around and say, the crisis is every day, it happens. And the first thing I need to do to get control of this is deal with my own psychology, my own fear, my own apprehension, my own ego. And in Reset, Rebuild, Reignite, I talk extensively to one of the most remarkable, remarkable people, I think, that has walked the earth. And that is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She was an American Swiss psychologist who dedicated her life to understanding what people go through when they lose something close to them, the grief cycle. And she argues, and I'll share my direct experience. In 2020, the beginning of 2020, the plans we had for Oric were crisp and clear and well set out. I was so attached to them. And when we realized that COVID was going to change the world, she argues you go through a period of denial first. And I absolutely did. In December, I said it was a flu. I said it was a flu. Then she says, as it becomes a reality that the crisis is about to happen, in her instances, that the person you love that gives you meaning and value in your life is going to pass on because of a terminal condition. You go through two emotions, anger and fear. And do you remember we saw the pictures? Do you remember we saw the pictures of people running to go and get 5,000 rolls of toilet paper? Absolutely. It was, I need to do something about this. I don't know what it means. I'm angry, I'm fearful, I need to act. And then you get dumped into a realization that this event has taken place and you sit in this well of depression. And to the extent that you don't manage yourself out of that well of depression, you can remain there for an inordinately long period of time. She then went on and said, the best way to climb up the well of depression is to act. So run and buy 5,000 rolls of toilet paper. See what works, see what doesn't work. Discard what's not working and double down on what is working. And through that, you find a new path, a new meaning, a new value, and a new sense of self on the other side of the crisis. It is no different to anyone leading a business. As a business owner, we're deeply attached to what we do. It gives us meaning, it gives us value, it gives us economy and income, it gives us status, it gives us whatever it is. And a crisis threatens the existence of it. If you're not familiar with the Kubler-Ross change curve, well then how else do you manage yourself to the other side? Positive action, inspired action, to get out the crisis and use it to advantage as opposed to becoming a victim of it. So how did you do that? How, how did you get out of the, the denial, the anger, the depression? So, look, you know, I've, I've had to face um, a significant number of crises over time, given the work I do. Um, in many instances, I work with businesses that are struggling through certain challenges that they might have. Um, 
and I've become familiar with the nature of crisis. Secondly, I've deliberately gone and educated myself around my own psychology. I made a deep, deep, deep investment into understanding Jung, into reading the Kabbalah, which I found inordinately useful. It keeps me future-focused. In reading through Upanishads, which are ancient mystical texts that emerge out of India, that talk about the state of your psyche, and when you're in a depression, how to act in order to emerge from it. And I use those tools. And the way that I use those tools, and I remember it so clearly, I got a phone call from two clients that we have in Hong Kong. And they said, Pablo, we're in trouble. I said, why? This is December. And I said, listen, this flu seems to be a lot more serious than just being a flu. And there's talk of us being locked down as Wuhan's been locked down. And I kept the conversations going and suddenly realized that this was going to come through to, from the east to the west. And how do I remember? I remember the hand I felt. I was furious because I could see our 2020 action plan unraveling around us. And for a period of a day or two, I went through the phase of anger, not fear, but anger. I then fell into a depression for at least three minutes and very quickly acted to get onto the other side of it. And it led to a complete transformation as to how we went about doing our business, which we then transferred across to about 550 business owners that we work with across three territories. We created the Reset, Rebuild, Reignite strategy and what it does is it takes you out of your head and into your body to act because the physical action immediately allows you see, to find your truth. You only find truth in action. You don't find it intellectually through thought. You have to act when you don't know. And when you don't know and you act, in the moment of acting, you see what's working, you see what's not, you do more of what's working, you discard what's not. And it led to a complete transformation of certainly our business and for most of our clients. You know, let me tell you something interesting. You know what the word crisis means? It's an ancient Greek word. And it's spelled K-R-I-S-I-S, crisis. It means a change in the state of health. That's interesting. Wow. And I read... That, uh, that we don't know that, or certainly I didn't know that. Yeah, no, no, it was fascinating and it, it was so telling because immediately now it depersonalizes it, it makes mm. it objective, you see. And, and I read a fantastic book called The Technology Trap. Um, and it's a book that looks at technology going back 10,000 years, ever since we more or less started to function as homo sapiens. And it spoke about the various technologies and it spoke about the crises created by these technologies. And what became very evident to me is that those that recognize what the word crisis means, a change in the state of health or a change in the status quo, if you're operating a small or a medium-sized business and you have built the business smartly and resiliently, in other words, you have the ability to respond quickly, it puts you in the forefront of capitalizing on the change in the status quo 
to become relevant quicker, faster, and more meaningfully to the clients and customers you serve. And you know what's going to happen two years from now? People are going to reflect back and say, gosh, COVID changed the way we work. Absolutely. No, it absolutely did not. It's the five to seven percenters that sailed into that store, figured out how to do things differently, that set new operating standards and expectations and needs and wants and desires in their industries and their sectors that the others then had to respond and turn to much later down the line. You know, Pavlo, I was uh, interviewing a number of kids on, on my radio show who had just finished matric and they had done exceptionally well. And of course, you it's it's part of what we do and you try and understand what, what the secret sauce was and how they managed. And I kind of asked the same question in, in different ways of all of them at different times. And I asked them what it was like, obviously, to write matric and to be going through this process in, in 2020 with COVID. And they all answered the same thing in, in different ways. And I was blown away by it. The answer that they, because it's so liberating, the answer that they gave me was, well, we didn't know any different. This was the first time we wrote matric. We can't compare it to another metric. And what I thought, it was so interesting that there's such an important lesson there is that they weren't holding on to everything, as you've said, on that boat that they needed to, how they needed to be. They actually went through it for the first time and without any pre-set notions and they actually did extremely well as a result of it. And I thought that's gotta be a lesson for us. And it's a lesson that's been taught now for 6,000 years. In, in martial arts, specifically in Zen for martial arts, so Japanese martial arts, Chinese martial arts, there's a wonderful expression called shashin. And what shashin means, it means beginner's mind. It argues, it argues, if every day you can approach every day with the beginner's mind, you will see things that you never saw before that will enhance and improve the capabilities you've developed to date. It argues that when you step into a ring in combat and I look at you and you look at me and my mind races away saying, he's bigger, she's stronger, he's younger, he's older, she's faster, this one's taller, that one's shorter. In the moment that you do that, you lose a sense of being in the absolute present moment and you lose beginner's mind. And whilst your mind is being occupied with all those thoughts, which if you listen carefully to the way I express them, are linked to either your insecurities or a pattern of behavior that you want to impose mm. upon your opponent mm. in that direction. Almost a learned pessimism in a way. Completely. It's a learned pessimism or a learned pessimism or a learned helplessness. The moment your mind's there, what brings you back to the present moment is that whilst you're thinking that, you get punched on the nose by your opponent because he or she's not thinking, they're acting. And again, I say truth is only ever found in action. So it's a wonderful habit to develop this idea of beginner's mind. As hard as it is to master, it's a wonderful thing to be aware of because if you're aware of it, you can move towards it. 
What's interesting to me is the amount of disciplines or the amount of influences you pull in into your approach to business. Obviously, not everybody, A, has the interest or B, has the ability to do that. But to what extent does a good leader, uh, I don't know if that's even a, a reasonable expression, a good leader, um, to, to what extent does a leader need to uh, draw in on different experiences? It's very clear from what you said, they need to know who they are and what drives them. That's abundantly clear. But how important is this whole, is, is, is the periphery, maybe? I think it's absolutely vital nowadays. You know, if you think about the evolution of business, the formal evolution of business, um, and when I say formal, I'm saying taught, learned business, as opposed to trading through personality or knowledge or relationships. If we go right back to more or less 1772, 1773, Ralph Waldo Emerson, one of the founding fathers of the United States, turned around and quipped, if you build a better mousetrap, the world will be to path to your door. And Howard, he was absolutely right. Because what he was saying is if you had a good product or a good service, you were done, you were made. And in 1773, he was correct because there were very few products or services around. So the idea of building a good product or designing a good service should be what gets you out there, what gives you success and what yields a good return has been argued at Morsium since 1773. When you look at most businesses' websites, the first thing they flash at you are the features of their product or service. The product-centric mindset's there. Excepting today, there is no product advantage anymore because there are so many products. Then we moved on and smarter people and perhaps you and me turned on and said, no, the next evolution is all about price. And in 1922, Henry Ford was quipped saying, you can have any Model T Ford you want for so long as it is black. And he realized that the product alone was not enough to win a market. He realized, in fact, that you needed to get pricing right. And he was competing with the horse. So the assembly line was created by him to create repetitive tasks, to drop the price of the product. And it certainly built forward. And then we progressed on. And eventually, when everyone had a good product and everyone had a good price, what was the next advantage? Philip Kotler, who's known or understood to be the doyen of marketing or the father of the advertising industry as a whole, in the late 50s, early 60s, turned on and said, oh, beyond the product, Beyond the price, you need to know who you serve. And as we sit here today, that's what gets taught. And yet today, those three features of success, elements of success in the business, are not cutting it. What I've certainly learned in the work that we do, already a decade ago, we started to argue makes somebody spend money because as a business owner you have to figure that out if you know who you serve and you're not trying to be everything to everyone 
you already have a massive advantage. Because if you know who you serve, you can learn what problem they have that they're looking to have solved. You and I only spend money to get a problem solved. If you think about it in its purest form. And 10 years ago, we started to argue this position very strongly. The way to get ahead of the rest, be very clear who you serve, make sure there's consistency in the definition of who you serve and understand the problem you solve for them. And then about six, seven years ago, that was not enough either. We then understood that the way your customer or client wants to learn about you, wants to be engaged by you, and wants to be solved by you. In other words, the experience is what sets the winners from the rest. And if you think about what that means, it means you need to have a profound understanding of socio-political activity, which drives all of our behavior and emotion. You need to have a good understanding of the economics of a country, which impacts the way that we behave and the way that we feel about our lives. And business today has become, for those that want to create distinction in what they do, it's become a process of garnering deep empathy around who you serve, the industry you play in, and how you manage and meet your own team. I think it's very hard to achieve outside of that empathy. And it's very hard to achieve if you if you don't focus on it, because none of us are, are just born with this inherent knowledge. These are things that have to be developed. It, it has to be developed, but there's also a system to it. You know, you can be the most naturally gifted heart surgeon, but unless you have a system to conduct heart surgery, I'm sorry, no offense, Howard, but I wouldn't want you operating on me. I would like to rely on a system. Yes, yes, I'll write about it. Though. So, <laughs> so I'll come for my consultation later. <laughs> my heart, it's ticking quite well at the moment. But the point that I'm making is. Unless you can create simplicity in the way you build and grow, govern and lead a business that caters to all the requirements of what a business needs to succeed, you will drop balls, you will forgo the obvious, and you will waste the most precious thing that we have available to us, and that is time. And realizing this too late in the game is of no value to you or anyone around you. And the approach that we took is we created a system, a system that begins and ends to cater to all the requirements that allow you to step ahead of the rest. And I apply it myself to myself every day. It's one of the things that has now become a habit of being. And that habit of being affects the way I behave and the behavior yields a result for me. It is something I wish I'd learned maybe 15, 20 years ago. So, and that's your own system? Well, it's a system, it's a system that was born through experience. Quite, quite a few experiences. Mm. I mean, the backstory behind the system, I was personally born to, to three entrepreneurs. My father 
was an entrepreneur, my two uncles were entrepreneurs. They never had corporate connections in their lives. They never had government connections in their lives. And they had to create income for their families. So they went into business. And how the amazing thing is, they must have read a book called The American Dream. Because the American Dream seems to be this fiction that if you start a business, you apply yourself to it, you work hard, you stay committed to it, you care for those around you, you make the sacrifices, you make the investments, you're going to emerge with a very successful outcome. Yet 94.6% of businesses started globally fail to sell. And ironically, when I looked at the three of them, they generated income, they did well by their families. The one worked until he was 88 years of age. The other until he was 84 years of age. And if it weren't for an intervention with my father, he would have had a similar fate. They didn't work for that long because they loved what they did. They worked for that long out of sheer necessity. And to me, this idea that hard work, commitment, dedication is enough to crack it is absolutely not true. There really is a system to yield an outcome that, yes, gives you good income, but beyond that, puts you in a position where you are not the source of the income. And the architecture, the system of the business is independent of you to generate income and therefore can be sold to yield your capital gain, the reward for the years of sacrifice. It's not taught effectively at university because I studied and I applied my studies and it did not yield the results. It's an artisanal process rather than an academic process. And we are not given that system until very later on we discover it perhaps by chance. Unfortunately, we are basically out of time. But uh, your book, Reset, Rebuild, Reignite, it's got a lot of this wisdom in it, doesn't it? It does, but it's fundamentally artisanal and practical. Right, which is which is so important because I think many people feel, many of us feel, it's a business book, maybe it's going to be a little bit scary. But in fact, the book uh, deals with very, very practical, very readable, very relatable to everybody who's in business in one form or another. Um, I do encourage everybody to go and, and get the book. It's available pretty much everywhere, uh, exclusive books and, uh, and the rest. You can order it online as well. It is a well worth the read. Pavlo Fatidis, thank you for taking the time to speak to us for sharing some of your very real experiences and uh, and a lot of your, your wisdom. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure great. speaking with you. Nice speaking to you. We certainly will uh, request chatting to Pablo once again. I'm Howard Feldman. This has been the Synthesis Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on the channel below so that you can make sure that you do uh, receive an alert whenever one of these become available. Uh, Have a good day. Have a good week. And we'll chat soon.